Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we have an examination of yesterday's Missouri primary election results. Joining me in studio are St. Louis Public Radio political reporters Joe Manis, Rachel Lippman, and Jason Rosenbaum. After a long night and early call today, they are no doubt running on fumes. We had some major headlines yesterday. Right to work fails. McCullough loses. Stanger hangs on. Joe, where do we start with all of this? Lots of good stories out okay. of the election. First thing, Prop A won big, but it had no coattails. So you had all these major figures who were in the Prop A camp, some like Stanger, who had really tied himself to it. Stanger barely held on. Bob McCullough lost. Jay Cummel, the state senator who is the number two labor guy in the state, he, he's the number two guy at the AFL-CIO, lost. Um, you had so many people who had tied their uh, fortunes to Prop A. Uh, Bob McCullough, not as much, but there had been an assumption that he would benefit by it. Nope, nope, nada. Nada. That's the big story <laughs> of the day. Rachel, what's your take? I, I mean, I, I kind of have to agree with with Joe, and I think Jason's going to chime in on this as well. Is just McCullough's vic, or excuse me, Bell's victory over McCullough is is a big deal. Like this was not something that was close. This was fifty seven forty three in a county where the population is still overwhelmingly white. So this is a race that had to have a broad cross section from all races, and it obviously did. He was appealing to North County, to South County, to West County. I mean, he picked up endorsements of traditionally of town of townships in South County and West County, ones that you would think would traditionally go for McCullough or other white candidates. Clearly, Jason Ferguson played a big role in that. I, I think it could have, but I think we cannot overemphasize how I would say significant Bell's victory is. Like it or not, there are some white voters who will not vote for black candidates, maybe because of racism, maybe because they're just used to voting for white candidates. And there was kind of an assumption that a black candidate running countywide in St. Louis County without the support of, you know, labor unions, which are not exclusively white, but are somewhat majority white. Especially the traditional laborer, you know, plumbers, pipe fitters. That, 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 uh, that they couldn't win. Bell. Like, Charlie Dooley won several times when he had the support of organized labor. When he lost the support of organized labor in 2014, he got destroyed by Steve Stanger. Bell proved that you can run countywide without the overt backing of organized labor. You can appeal to a multiracial electorate. And I think that this is going to be a victory that's going to be looked at as a paradigm shift in St. Louis County politics. And I, I also think it, it's, it, it may be studied for years by political scientists as, as what changed politics in St. Louis County. What struck me in this is kind of watching it play out on Facebook, because I had a lot of friends who live in St. Louis City who were getting involved in campaigning for Bell, is it seems that um, it just got people engaged with the election. I mean, McCullough hasn't had a serious electoral challenge since, I think, 1994 from either side of the aisle. The Republicans just don't run a candidate against him. They're content with him being in office. He had somewhat of a challenge in 2014, but still won with like 75, 80 percent of the vote. I think um, Bell went out and, and talked to people 
um, you know, the, the national groups that wanted to get involved in this race because of criminal justice reform went out and talked to the voters, whereas I'm not saying McCullough doesn't campaign. I don't live in St. Louis County. I don't get the door knocks on these races. But I, how much of that was just I expect to win, whereas Bell is going out and saying, let's just talk to people. Let's get them engaged. So they may not know anything about him. They're willing to listen to what, uh, what they were willing to listen to what Bell had to say. And you just got more voters engaged in the race. Yeah, I knew a lot of uh, young lawyers, uh, some who I know pretty well, and others who are kind of, you know, progressive young whites uh, in St. Louis County who are going for Bell. I, at my house, because I live in Webster Groves, I got three mailers from Bell, got nothing from McCullough. Now, what I'd heard I was at the Stanger event last night, and it was full of gossip for hours because they were waiting for the return. <laughs> I mean, I was hearing that um, McCullough really didn't recognize the threat until a few weeks ago, like two or three weeks ago. And by that time, it was too late to raise the money. And there were certain things he didn't want to do. I mean, because there was some outside people who were willing, to, I'm told, to put up money, dark money or whatever, and he wouldn't do that. But by the time... He recognized it. It was too late because he's not used to having to run uh, Mm -hmm. a a campaign. And I thought it was intriguing. He and Steve Stanger had been joined at the hip in the 2014 election. McCullough and Stanger. Yes. And Stanger, McCullough's early endorsement of Stanger had really been uh, key to Stanger's um, bid to uh, defeat Charlie Dooley. Mm -hmm. This time, the two, while they were still friends they weren't campaigning together they weren't even mentioning Mm -hmm. each other and i thought that was um interesting i think there was an assumption that for whatever reason that it was better not to be tied to the other guy and as it turned out in stanger's case i mean as i said he just barely barely won i think it's like 1100 thousand votes yeah 1100 of a percent. And and I, I just got to point this out. Like Prop 8, which was the initiative to decide whether right to work is repealed or stays in place, I think it failed in St. Louis County with over 70% of the yeah, votes. Yeah, 72% of the votes. And Stinger had every labor union endorsement. Mm-hmm. So as Joe mentioned, by that logic, like Stinger should have been the beneficiary of that voting block. Mm-hmm. And, and he only won at this point by 1,000 votes. So something went terribly wrong in that campaign to get to that point because by any – by just basic math – excuse me, my water bottle just fell. (laughs) By just basic math, he should have won by 10 or 15 points. There there may even be a recount in that. uh, Mr. Montevani, I believe, is weighing that possibility. There there could be. But in my experience of of looking at recounts, if the margin is like 1,000 votes, it's difficult to make that up. Um, But, you know – Stranger things have happened. So, and it's legally within the uh, you can ask for it, not have to go through court kind of thing. The state law says it's a one percent margin of victory, and it's a sixty four hundredth. Um, what was interesting, what somebody reminded me of though, in the sort of whole no on Prop A thing, is that more people within the state voted against Proposition A than there are union, car, you know, card carrying union members in the state. Mm-hmm. So, no on Proposition A doesn't necessarily mean that you are a union member. It could be that you're a union supporter and want and object to the notion of right to work and therefore want to vote for it. Now, as Jason pointed out, yes, you would think that with the endorsement of all of traditional labor and with how motivated the base was, Stanger and McCullough should have won. Stanger by a wider margin. McCullough 
you know, maybe make the race closer. But a lot of the people who were supporting Bell for the criminal justice reform reason are probably also anti-right to work. They are pro-union, just not necessarily union members. Joe? Yeah, and a couple things. I think that we also should not ignore. I did a story a year ago about the power of African-American women in the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And I think yesterday's results showed that. I mean, Jay Cummel got defeated by Carla May, who's a state Mm -hmm. rep in the city, African-American. The 14th district, which is uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal's seat, is going to be represented by a woman. No, that's not true. Okay, well. Brian Williams won that. Okay, yeah, at the end. But but, but the point is that Sharon Pace came close. Mm -hmm. Uh, the assumption of who would win didn't work out. So I think that um, it's intriguing to me that there is a lot of maneuvering going on behind the scenes within the Democratic Party, just as there are in the Republican Party. And some of it has to do with um, gender. Some of it has to do with generation. And so I think that some of the stuff that we saw yesterday, either in close races or final races, that sort of um, echoed echoed that. I mean, that, um, that, I mean, that Wesley Bell's victory may have been as much about generation as about everything else. Well, that's an interesting point because there was uh, th- there were a few races yesterday in which younger candidates yes. prevailed. Mm-hmm. I think of Sharon Carpenter, for instance, uh, losing. She's been in that job for 40 years or whatever. <laughs> yes, now. please. And then a millennial took that seat away from State her. Representative Michael Butler, a millennial, will be recording deeds in the yeah. city of St. Louis. Yeah, yeah and, and everybody, I mean, I want to emphasize, these victories weren't easily won. Mm. The victors in every case worked hard. Oh, yes. I mean as oh, did yeah. as did many of the losers. I'm not but the point is this was not just something that people sat back and watched happen. No, from my they made it happen. From what I've heard, like in that recorder of deeds race, which I make fun of a lot because <laughs> recording deeds is funny, uh, Michael Butler worked extremely, oh, yeah. extremely yeah. hard because I think that he knew that even though Carpenter probably wasn't raising huge amounts of money, she she still had huge name recognition and a lot of institutional support. And the only way to end up defeating an incumbent like that, even one who has encountered controversy over the last few years, is he had to go everywhere in the city and, and pull it off. It was a really impressive victory uh, by, by Representative What's Butler. funny about the recorder of deeds? I don't know, because I like, I like to kind of like think it's the most important office in the world, even though – and it really is an important office. It, it is. Like you have to you, – you, you, you get houses, deeds recorded there, or you get marriage license or a death certificate, but – I don't know. I, I have a weird sense of humor, and I've always just found the uh, the process of recording deeds to be humorous for some reason. Did, did the Secretary of State uh, make a big mistake yesterday when he said turnout would be 30 percent? I think turnout was considerably higher oh, than yeah. that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I think I it was 33.5 yeah, is what I, he said. I, and see, it was so much higher in St. Louis County. This is the case for St. Louis County, which is the largest jurisdiction in the state. If the voters show up, because they had, I mean, it was a huge turnout, a little over 40 percent, and 70 percent of that, more than 70 percent of that was Democrats, Mm -hmm. they can have a huge impact statewide. I mean, that happened with the concealed carry thing back in 1999. That happened with the uh, uh, dog measure a few years ago. Now, it doesn't always stay because the General Assembly is dominated by rural interests, and they tend to resent... um, St. Louis County when it really yeah. puts its foot down on something. So I'm real interested to see whether or not there will be an effort to pass a right-to-work law anyway next year. Uh, 
with the belief that, well, one of the reasons for the high percentage was that St. Louis County was so big in it, or if they kind of back off. I I think it's going to be intriguing to watch. I think that'll be intriguing to watch, but given that right right to work failed by over 65% of the vote, I could see legislators kind of cooling off on that for the time being. I I think they may go back to it eventually. I I just don't think 2019 is going to be the year. I mean, we were poking around a little bit on the on the numbers last night and sort of running it, uh, comparing it to counties that went really, really hard for Trump in 2016 compared to the right to work. And there were some counties where Trump's winning three to one and right to work gets defeated, you know, two to one or by 3000 votes. So do you really want to risk if you're a state rep, state senator in that district being like, I'm going to overturn the will of the people in my district for the interests of big business? Like, be, do you yeah. want that campaign run against? You. Yeah, it would be one thing if Right to Work had failed like 51-49. Because the dog breeding thing that right. Joe mentioned passed very narrowly. Right. <clears throat> but this this wasn't even close. I have to take a break, but one thing from you, Jason, uh, and your usual perceptive self on sure. NPR this morning, talking about the impact of the Right to Work vote here elsewhere. I think that the, the Right to Work vote in Missouri will be used as a template for unions in other yeah. states to go on the offensive against anti-organized labor laws. If I think the message basically is if uh, right to work can be overturned in a state that Donald Trump won by almost 20 percentage points, I think it's not out of the question that it can be replicated in a place like Michigan or Wisconsin. 538 brought up the point last night, the political statistical wonk newsletter, that this was the first major victory since, I think, a 2011 yes. vote in Ohio, in Ohio. Yeah. for a traditional union basis. All right. Well, let's take that break now. We are obviously talking about the uh, the fallout from yesterday's primary election here in Missouri. I have with me in studio Joe Manis, Rachel Lipman, and Jason Rosenbaum, our political reporting team. Back to continue this conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back to our conversation about yesterday's Missouri primary election results. Okay, one of the big races that is getting zero attention today, in a sense, is one that uh, the conclusion was a foregone one. That's the Senate uh, Senate primary, yeah. Joe. Well, I think what's intriguing is that before ever, well, everyone's trying to get the votes counted last night, McCaskill comes out with, A, a debate challenge. Uh, this is U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill, the Democrat mm-hmm. who won, against Missouri General, Attorney General Josh Hawley, who is the Republican who won. He countered with his own debate challenge. And then she had a press call this morning at 7.45 a.m. Thank you, Wayne Pratt, for recording that for us. He um, is having something out in St. Charles this afternoon. So they're really trying to shift uh, away from the election and not talk about it. Now, there's a key thing here. McCaskill had been highlighting her uh, opposition to Prop A and her aligning herself with labor unions. Holly sidestepped the whole issue, never really said anything. I'm going to ask him about it today, but I'm assuming he's going to say the people have spoken, so forth and so on. My point being is that when we, when I talked about no coattails at the beginning, I mean, for her, 
while she pushed it, and maybe that'll help her with some labor unions. When she looks at the results from yesterday, she's got to figure out that now there may not be any coattails from this in November, even if there was a strong support for it. And Holly can probably breathe easy. The fact that he didn't take a big stand on it is probably not going to matter. I mean, they're going to be focusing on other things. So I think that is, um, and they're really, as I said, stepping up right away. There was an Mm -hmm. outside group that ran a really nasty attack, personal attack ad against McCaskill. That's been, different groups have been running something like that for weeks, but they've really heightened it. Um, Yesterday, having to do with her husband's divorce 20 years ago. In fact, his ex-wife has come out with a statement that, yeah. blasting it. But the point being is it's already getting really nasty. All this stuff is going on, and it probably will have very little to do with what happened yesterday. Yeah. What uh, are you looking for in that race, uh, Jason? The national environment. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that always amuses me about these U.S. Senate races is you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent on TV ads that nobody remembers, mainly, except for the candor gun ad, which everybody remembers. And the ads may move the needle and may influence the percentage, but really what usually drives U.S. Senate races, for the most part, is what people are thinking about the president or the economy or things that are happening on a national stage. There are clearly outliers, like 2012, when, you know, Todd Akin disintegrated in front of our eyes. But at this point, I I think that it's going to come down to do Missourians like the direction that President Trump is leading the country? And if they do, I think that means Holly has an edge. And if the uh, support of Trump starts to diminish in Missouri, a state again that Trump won by around 20 points, then it benefits McCaskill similarly to 2006 when it was a bad year for Republicans, and she was able to beat a very good candidate in Jim Talent. Was there an Eric Greitens influence in any of this? these goings-on yesterday? No. I mean, there had been a lot of talk, and Jason's heard the same stuff, that apparently, assuming if Greitens had disintegrated as, as Missouri governor a couple months ago, he had been expected to lead an effort to defend uh, Prop A. Um, he wasn't there, and uh, Governor Mike Parson, who I had interviewed about week and a half ago, um, had indicated he supported Prop A, but that he was going to let the people decide. So if you notice, you didn't see Parson traveling the state, you know, waving the banner for Prop A. He didn't. So I think that um, Eric Greitens uh, clout, uh, whatever it was, is gone, and the re- Republicans prefer to ignore that he even existed. Plus, plus he couldn't even vote, so he didn't <laughs> even have that option. Oh, apparently. I'm, yeah. I mean... I don't think any of us know where he is at this point. I certainly don't. So, well, we certainly know where he isn't. That's uh, that's for sure. The governor's mansion. Yeah. Mike yeah. Parsons there. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the congressional races. Uh, I particularly, want to look uh, quickly at uh, the first district, yeah. Lacey Clay's district, uh, and that challenged by Cory Bush, and she brought in outside help, and it didn't work. She got thirty-six percent of the vote. Do we read anything into any of this? Well. Some people are going to say, well, since Clay didn't break 60 percent, it was like a moral victory for Cory Bush, who I have to say is a is a candidate with a bright future who engendered a lot of passionate support and did better than most Clay supporters Mm -hmm. or Clay Clay opponents. But the fact of the matter is Clay won by 20 percentage points and he once again kind of proved this kind of lingering contention that he his political muscle has atrophied that he's a shadow of his father, that he doesn't work hard. 
I think that he proved everybody that 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 narrative was was total bunk. And and not only did he win, but the aforementioned Brian Williams, who was an aide to Lacey Clay for yes. many years, yes. won a, a a state senate seat that is currently held by State Senator Maria Chappelle Nadal, who, by the way, won a House seat yesterday. Yes. So that's a specific example of him not only winning his own race, but when he wants a candidate to win, he there's no doubt in my mind that he helped Brian Williams win because he was working hard for him, similar to 2014 when Lacey Clay was stumping hard for Joshua Peters. And, you know, I, I think that you underestimate Lacey Clay at your own risk, basically. But you, you, we also have to take into account... The tenure he has, this came up during our conversation yeah. with him. He's got a lot of clout there uh, as, a, as a senior member of Congress. I don't know how important that is anymore in this day and age with earmarks being kind of gone and written out of the budget. Like, it's harder to campaign on, I'm going to bring home the pork when you legally can't bring home yeah, and the that, pork. and that wasn't really his message. And if you look at what happened with Bob McCullough, having a lot of experience in being around yeah. for a long time doesn't necessarily help. I think... Uh, Clay made some strategic behind-the-scenes decisions uh, the last week or two. It was what I'd been hearing to kind of help coalesce. And that's sort of play- that was sort of playing out on Facebook in terms yes, of, like, yeah. you see people sniping about who he's behind, who he's not. Who right, yeah. right. Because, I mean, look, the Democratic Party in this region, just like the Republican Party, there's all these dramas that play out behind <laughs> the scenes that nobody knows about. Not and all behind so, the scenes. So, um Sometimes not behind the scenes, especially in the age of social media. But the bottom line is, Lacey Clay just didn't waltz into his 20-point lead. I mean, he I, had there was a lot of stuff that went on to kind of uh, make sure that he did win, and he had to make some uh, uh, agreements. So it's not like he could yeah. unilaterally but, say, I'm going to win. But and, at the same time, but, people still have to vote, you know, yes. moving mm-hmm. Uh, one person from your camp to someone else's camp or vice versa doesn't automatically, you know, get voters out to the polls. It's not, you know, the old Chicago machine and, where you get the bottle of wine for pulling the lever uh, for the candidate you're well, supposed to. I never got that bottle of wine living in Chicago. But the, 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 the key thing that I saw, because, you know, I'm a really issue-oriented person, sometimes to a fault. And I talked with Cory Bush and Lacey Clay extensively about issues. And I'm not saying that they agreed on everything, like the Paul McKee project, Cory Bush clearly was against, and Lacey Clay has been a big champion of. But on, like, issues that they'd vote on in Congress, they were very, very similar. And if you're going to try to convince a congressional district that's been voting for either Lacey Clay or Bill Clay for literally 50 years to change yeah. sides, you've got to give them, like, issue-oriented differences that I just don't think we're there in this instance. So it, it, I just, and again, I think that Cori Bush ran a very, very good campaign. I think she has a lot to be proud of, and I don't think we've seen the last of her. But I, I don't think we've seen the last of Lacey Clay because <laughs> uh, unless I'm proven otherwise, he just keeps on winning. The second district, uh, no surprise there. Of course, Ann Wagner won 89% of the vote or something like that, I think. But I've been intrigued, and we've talked about this before, about the amount of advertising that she has done. I mean, she's spending a ton of money when she should be a sure thing. Well, hey, this is 2018. I mean, you see what happened in Ohio last night in a strong Republican district mm-hmm. where it's it, it's still a cliffhanger. I think she, uh, as I mentioned before, she didn't run any ads in 2016. Her staff says she didn't run any ads in 2014. No. That's in the primary or the general. And yeah. now she was running stuff before the primary. She sees what's going on. 
and she wanted to make sure that she's not one of the casualties come November. And she sees that on the Democratic side, there was at least two very strong candidates, uh, Mark Osmack and Court Van Ostrin. Uh, Van Ostrin had a lot of national backing, and he ended up winning. But still, it was the vote was kind of split. I think people were throwing out stuff about how many Democrats turned out in the second yesterday. And uh, so, but some of that, you don't know if that translates into November. But I think she sees that she's going to have a threat. Uh, Van Osteren is already telegraphing that he's going to focus especially on health care and on her votes against the Affordable Care Act. And we'll see if that issue has uh, staying power or not. And I mentioned uh, the first district race about how the two candidates are similar on issues. This is going to be a clear race where the candidates are very different on lots of issues. Yes. So the big question is whether that is enough to drive enough Democrats out to to flip a district that is very difficult for them. But I think this is a this is a really if you if you like candidates with distinct views on things, this this you're going to like this race between Court Van Ostrand mm-hmm. and Ann Wagner cuz they are different candidates and I think that's what makes a, a race exciting to be honest. Well, I, it's, a, it's the suburban Republicans. <clears throat> I think a lot of people forget that. The question's going to be is after if the Republicans can woo back some of these suburban Republicans mm-hmm. who are who, if you believe any of the polls, are not happy with Donald Trump and some of the stuff that's going on. I mean, the suburban Republicans are one of the reasons that Claire McCaskill had such a huge victory in 2012, suburban Republican women. So it's going to be intriguing to see if they if they side with Ann Wagner, see her as one of their own, or if they're like, no, she's too far to the right, we're going to go with this kid. Well, he's been spending some money, too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What I'm going to look for in both sort of uh, Missouri 2nd and the Senate district is, or Senate race, is whether the enthusiasm you saw in the primary ends up carrying over into the general election. McCaskill is not particularly a beloved candidate among younger, kind of activist, progressive, whatever phrase you want to use for them, voters. It's whether they sit and look and go, we saw what happened when we didn't vote in the presidential election and we need to preserve the candidate that is the better of the two options or how much you get into a, you know, it's not exactly what we want, so we're not going to support her. If they've kind of gotten all of their, we want to throw a a cast a protest vote in the primary and focus in the general election on keeping the seat blue. Yeah, and I, I'm interested to, I wonder, I haven't talked to Claire McCaskill today, but I wonder what she thinks about McCullough's loss, because those two have been close for years. When they were and, both prosecutors. And I'm, not saying, prosecutors. and I'm not saying that they are exactly the same politically, but I think that they're part of the same political circle, and that uh, political circle was soundly rejected in the state's biggest county. So I think she has to be looking at that and thinking, I, I need to, to pay attention to this as I'm trying to make sure I have the best turnout possible in St. Louis County. Yes. Our time is beginning to wind down to some degree. And uh, any surprise with Proposition 1 in the city? That A lot of people were concerned about that uh, possibly not passing. No. Nope. It passed handily. Nah. No. No surprise there. Nope. Uh, we mentioned some of the legislative races. Anything else we should be uh, talking about with regard to uh, – primary outcomes yesterday for legislative seats. Well, I think well, I do want to mention that that two that the um, uh, charter amendments in the county, county yeah. they they did win mm-hmm. bare, one of them barely. But um so that will give uh, council chairman Sam Page a little bit to crow about. He didn't get he didn't knock off Steve Stinger who and they're both Democrats, but he and Page are at odds. <clears throat> but but they did get these amendments which will allow the uh 
um, counsel to hire its own lawyer, and also which will give counsel people more flexibility in their private practices. They'll be able to represent governmental entities. Now, that's that's assuming there aren't court challenges against mm-hmm. either of these. For which I'm reason. assuming there will be against the uh, one for them to be able to hire their own attorney because the whole issue of the auditor and oversight and hiring of that position is working its way through the courts right now and whether there's an authority on that yeah. well, for the county. One thing that I was just tracking was whether voters uh, in state legislative races voted for candidates with extensive like governmental experience or whether they preferred new uh, faces. It really was kind of situational. I mentioned before that in a university city-based district, there was a four-way race where uh, Senator Maria Chappelle and it all won pretty handily because I think her name recognition there is very high, and I think that um, she's well-regarded in that community. But you saw elsewhere where, for example, Kevin Windham Jr. and, and Rachel Prouty in North St. Louis County seats ran against candidates who had been in municipal government for a while. Both of those two won pretty soundly. So I I think it was kind of just a situational thing. But I did see a lot of new people beating a lot of established uh, candidates in a lot of state legislative races. Joe, you brought up something that I wanted to get to uh, earlier but didn't, and that is uh, the Stenger race and his relationship with the county council. Does the narrowness of his apparent victory uh, mean that uh, he's going to have to, well, he's certainly going to have to work harder to mend relations, but what's it going to mean for that relationship? Well, it's probably going to continue to be strained. Now, he did put out some nice words last night. I was at his event for hours, <laughs> and uh, he didn't take the stage till after midnight. Uh, unlike Montevani, Stanger didn't, you didn't see him at all. And uh, But he did put out some olive branches, lauded the council for siding with him on a number of issues over the last four years, saying he couldn't have been successful, as successful without them. He never said that during the campaign, but he said that last night. And then he, he said that he hoped that they would all work together to help St. Louis County. He says he's going to be meeting privately with some. We'll see. I think um, he may, I mean, his one solid backer, Pat Dolan, Another labor guy in the 5th District lost his seat to Lisa Clancy, Clancy, a young newcomer. There we go again. So, yeah, right, exactly. So I think it's going to be interesting how it plays out. But I want to reemphasize, the St. Louis County Executive Post has a humongous amount of power. So it's not like the council. I mean, the council is not the same as the St. Louis Board of Aldermen, where they can kind of run rings around the mayor if they want because the mayor has limited power. In St. Louis County, it's not like that. So I think both sides are going to have to kind of reassess where they are and where they want to go. But I think the council has tremendous leverage now, even with Stanger winning. That's that's my read on it. We have to wrap it up. Let me get a final thought from each of you. I'll start with you, Jason. Uh, final thought on all of this. This 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 primary made no sense. <laughs> I'm still kind of confused and bewildered by everything, and um, I'll eventually figure it out. Well, get a, get a good afternoon sleep. You deserve Not it. Not happening. <laughs> Rachel? Um, no kind of general takeaway yet other than just, like I mentioned, let's see how the enthusiasm continues. I think a lot of these races were based on an enthusiasm for the candidate, enthusiasm for the platform. Does that continue when you have the more sort of traditional Democratic candidates running? Joe? I think so much is going to, uh, in the Senate race, is going to depend on the national climate. But I think also, I mean, we're seeing that what happened yesterday was kind of an earthquake in many cases. 
but I'm not sure how it's going to translate into November. And I think the candidates who are on the November ballot, especially Holly and McCaskill, they, I'm sure they're aware of that, but if they're not, they better be. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's going to be a rocky road the next 10 weeks. And not just for them, for the public, because they're going to be peppered <laughs> peppered with all these TV ads. And, Millions of dollars worth. And for you political reporters, by the way. Woo. Thank Woo. you all. <laughs> yeah, thank you all so much for being with us. Again, get some rest. I know most of you were uh, up into the wee hours of the morning. Thank you, Joe Manis, uh, Jason Rosenbaum, Rachel Lippman. Thank you for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Gateway brings you the day's news each weekday from around the St. Louis region and the state capitals in Jefferson City. Our schools are accredited. We don't need this bill. And Springfield. How many more years must pass before lawmakers see time is of the essence? I'm Abby Larico. Join me each weekday for The Gateway on the STLPR app or wherever you get podcasts. Mm-hmm.